Almost two years ago on the old channel that I worked for, I did a video about how Apple could add multi-touch to the Mac. The benefits, the costs, the challenges, all of it. Because for a lot of people in the age of the iPad, if a screen isn't multi-touch, it doesn't just feel broken, it effectively is broken. And while I think I got a lot of that right, frankly, I also think I got some of it wrong. So with Apple Silicon on its way, and yeah, just hit the subscribe button and bell right now so you don't miss any of my coverage on it. With Apple Silicon on the way, I wanna revisit all of that, but most especially the parts that I got wrong. Now, Apple has had a lot, so much to say about multi-touch Macs over the years. They've prototyped them, they've tested them, and they have opinions on them. Steve Jobs famously said they'd make your arms wanna fall off. Tim Cook said forcing things to converge doesn't please anyone. Just like, look at toaster fridges. Phil Schiller said you just can't optimize for both. It's a least common denominator experience. He called it absurd. Johnny Ive said it's not because we can't, it's because we decided they're just not particularly useful. And Craig Federici, Hair Force One himself, said that none of the experiments out there today have been at all compelling. But here's the thing. Apple has a lot to say, has a lot of opinions, about everything. No one wants to watch video on an iPod. We're never making iTunes for Windows. If you see a stylus, you blew it. Nobody wants to read eBooks. You can't use a small tablet unless you shave your fingers down. Apple won't make a cheap phone. OLED displays are awful. Sometimes it's just hyperbole in an attempt to misdirect the competition. Sometimes though, technologies do change or improve to the point where a no becomes a yes. And sometimes, just sometimes, someone at Apple manages to change Steve or Johnny or Phil or Craig or Tim's mind. Because, of course, Apple went on to ship the video iPod, iTunes for Windows, Apple Pencil, iBooks, the iPad Mini, the iPhone SE, and the iPhone X. Now, Google just simply doesn't have a legacy graphical user interface. Google bought Android just as multi-touch was taking off and they refactored it from a Blackberry to an iPhone faster than you can say, where's my Pixel 4a? And Chrome OS, well, that was born in the age of multi-touch. And Microsoft, well, Microsoft just was never able to make a modern operating system, not from Windows CE or Windows Mobile, not from Windows Phone and not for Windows RT. So they were forced to spend years crossing the desert from Windows 8 to Windows 10, trying as best as they could to bolt multi-touch on top of their legacy GUI. Apple though, Apple built iOS from OS 10 as multi-touch to begin with. And while they never had a big market share, not as big as Windows or Android, their profit share became enormous. And so they're either caught or buoyed, depending on how you choose to look at it, by both a legacy GUI and a modern multi-touch operating system. And they may also have an even more modern augmented reality OS on the way, but that's probably a topic best left for a future video. So let me know if you wanna see that in the comments below. But that's why when Apple said they were happy to let the Mac be the Mac, namely an indirect pointer-based system, and the iPad be the iPad, namely a direct multi-touch-based system, I didn't really take them at their word so much as I took them at their circumstances. I just kind of assumed Apple wasn't being philosophical, but was being practical. In other words, even if they did want multi-touch Macs, taking a Windows 8 to Windows 10 amount of time to implement it just 
It seemed like an absolute non-starter, especially since unlike Microsoft, they already had a hugely popular multi-touch system on the market and never enough resources. And taking engineers off of what was gonna become iPadOS just to graft multi-touch onto macOS, and that seemed to make the kind of sense that just never did and never would. But a few things have changed since then, or I should say a few things have happened that have changed my mind. The Apple Pencil is just light years ahead of the old Palm Pilot stylus. The OLED on a modern iPhone or Galaxy phone is extra dimensionally better than the early versions. And the iPhone SE may be cheap compared to the iPhone 11, but it's by no means cheaply built or powered. My point is, executives misdirect, technology evolves, minds change. And here, I think my mistake was assuming it would take Apple several torturous Windows-like cycles to make the Mac multi-touch where they announce and start in one version, transition through another and finish-ish in a third. What I didn't consider is that one, Apple doesn't always announce the purposes of their transitions up front. And two, that they were already doing, they were already in the middle of the mother of all transitions. See, for the last several years, they've basically been rebuilding macOS in mid-flight, not ripping and replacing like they did with the classic macOS and OS X, but rewriting and swapping out parts, year after year, version after version. Things like Swift and APFS, the Apple file system, sure, but also the launch daemon and the Windows Manager, the security model, and even Catalyst or UIKit on the Mac. The obvious end game was Apple Silicon, sure, which they finally announced just a couple of weeks ago, but the other could just as easily be multi-touch. In other words, Apple's been spending their three versions in the desert this whole time just for multiple reasons. And it was still torturous in many ways for all of us, but we were also seeing so many new parts arrive, it distracted us from some of the bigger pain loops and bigger progressions. Now, Apple announced Apple Silicon in June, so developers would have Apple Silicon apps ready when it ships this fall. Wouldn't they have to announce multi-touch Macs at the same time though, so multi-touch Mac apps would also be ready in time? And I don't know, maybe, probably, maybe not. Like I said in my macOS explainer, seriously, you should hit the subscribe button and bell right now. The new interface is the ultimate Rorschach test for where you personally see the future of the Mac. And if you see that future as multi-touch, the new interface fits in pretty much perfectly. I mean, one of the arguments has always been that the traditional Mac interface is optimized for the precision of a mouse pointer and not our fat little fingertips. But with the new version of macOS Big Sur, there's been more space added to everything. Size, better for everything. Even the menu bar, which has historically been super bitsy, is now just a super less bit bitsy. Would it be perfect for multi-touch? No, just like the iPad isn't perfect for cursor. Could it be good enough? One of the selling points we did see at WWDC was iPhone and iPad apps running on the Mac. But if they are gonna support a wide range of iPhone and iPad apps, you're gonna need to be able to control those apps. And the traditional mouse pointer, according to everything Apple said before, is just as ill-suited for that as the Mac OS has been for multi-touch. And if your instinct is just to reach up and touch and move or pinch or scroll or flick or do any of those basic navigation gestures, those should just work because otherwise it really does seem broken. There'd still be work to do, of course, things to optimize, to rethink, maybe to reflow, but how much? Developer friends, let me know in the comments. The other thing that changed my mind 
I think starting with the accessibility team, but radiating out from there rapidly is a determination Apple's shown, the drive they've shown to make all input methods as effective as possible. You can see that with iPadOS, where last year assistive touch kicked off the trackpad and cursor support and also voice control. The Mac got voice control in Catalina as well, but nothing even remotely equal and opposite to the iPad's newfound pointer prowess, nothing remotely multi-touch. But then last year, Apple hadn't announced the move to their own custom silicon yet either. So when the iPad debuted, it was just quote unquote, a big iPhone. And that was a huge advantage for mainstream customers. The ones who always felt traditional computers were just too complicated, too confusing, too consternating. But it made the traditional computer users cranky because we lusted after that hardware and felt that we just hit an expectational debt when it came to the software, memory, and input methods. So when the iPad Pro debuted, it was more than just a quote unquote, big iPad. And I'd personally argue that it also fits in with what Steve Jobs said when he originally introduced the iPad, that in order for it to exist, it had to do some things better than both an iPhone and a MacBook, but it also had to fit in between both those things. And until iPad OS and the Magic Keyboard with cursor support, it really didn't do that. It was far closer to iPhone than it ever was MacBook. And that actually kind of perfectly fits into the Phil Schiller doctrine. The one about how each of Apple's products has to push so hard against the next one in line that that next one in line has to fight back just to survive in that line. Watch pushes against iPhone, pushes against iPad, pushes against MacBook, pushes against iMac. And wow, is the iPad Pro pushing hard against the Mac right now. Multi-touch native, but with a good enough pointer system to get by. So the question becomes, how does the Mac push back? By staying a traditional computing system, offering all the hobbyist and pro and developer and traditional form factor potential the iPad will just never do as well? Doing the higher memory and storage tasks the iPad can't? By staying all pointer? Or maybe by also offering just good enough multi-touch to get by? supported by all the technology that Apple Silicon has implemented on the iPad and iPad Pro with up to 120 Hertz refresh and touch response going on for three years now. See, I've been thinking about this a lot now and also discussing it a lot in my Patreon Discord. And yeah, I have Patreon now, patreon.com slash Richie. I set it up right after quitting my big media job and old channel in March best timing ever, and starting this new indie channel. I needed a way and a community to help make these videos better. So when you sign up, you not only get access to that members only Discord where we chat about Apple, Silicon, Apple Silicon, iPhones, iPads, gear, workflows, all of it. You get to see scripts and outlines for most of the daily shows before they're even filmed. Sometimes early versions of the videos before they go live. Longer versions of interviews when they're available, like 45 minute long ones with iJustine, Walt Mossberg and more. And there are even ways to get your name in the description for every video even the credits. To be even more involved in this community and contribute directly to the creation of these videos and future projects. And yeah, there are gonna be some cool new future projects. Check out patreon.com slash Richie. And thanks sincerely for your support. None of this would have been possible without you. For more on the new Macs, check out the playlist above. See you next video.